the blast from our past network. Hey, this is Jeanette Goldstein of Aliens, T2, Titanic, other films for Podcasting After Dark. Podcasting After Dark presents TV Obscura, a deep dive into underrated and unknown television shows from our youth. Cartoons, sitcoms, cop shows, and much more. Sit back and enjoy some nostalgic fun with TV Obscura. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Podcasting After Dark Presents TV Obscura. I am one half of the Podcasting After Dark team, Corey, a.k.a. Sleazy C. Joined with me, as always, my partner in crime, my partner in life, Zach. What's up, my man? How's it going, dude? Tomatoes! (laughs) I'm doing great. I'm just so happy to talk about more television from our childhood that... Was either good or doggy doo doo. We'll find out. (laughs) And as almost always, sans the very first episode of TV Obscura, in the other corner, it's the Armageddon! It's gotta be Diallo! It's gotta be Diallo! Le Jabba Nebata. <laughs> Hatties, baby, Hatties. <laughs> How's hey it guys, going, I, buddy? <laughs> I'm good. How you guys doing? I have no idea. Good, I have good, no good. idea what you're talking about, but it's funny, <laughs> and I'll appreciate it because I appreciate both of you so much. De Wanawanga. De Jabba Nebata. So why are we talking Hatties? Well, we're not doing anything Star Wars related in this episode. But Diallo, what was the uh, the Chaka's dialect? Like, what is the name of it that, that he speaks, or what is? Where are his people? Uh, well, his people are called the Bakuni. Um, Bakuni. Yeah, the Bakuni, and uh, yeah, there's a there's a mixture of languages that they use to make that. Yeah, it's yeah, like. I was like, is he just speaking Spanish right now? Oh, okay. (laughs) 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 So before we jump into it, Diallo, what you been up to, man, in the past month since the last time we talked? You know, I've been kind of, I'm in the same space I was in last time we (laughs) talked. Been buried under a a mountain of of, uh, writing and work and stuff. So I'm just kind of in the basement getting it done. So. Got yeah. to get it done, baby. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, that, that's probably the first and only time I've ever heard Ben in the basement getting it done, and not knowing, not thinking it's creepy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought it was a little creepy. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't think it was. I mean, we know Diallo, so it's that not is creepy. true. That is true. I mean, true. you know me, so then why, like you. Should have assumed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> There's something not uh, right with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and old Zach, my man, you you and I have been rocking and rolling. I've uh, been getting great feedback on the top eight obscure video games from the 80s episode that we just dropped. And uh, boy, oh boy, that was a lot of fun. And I am excited to dive into these three shows that uh, two of which I had a nostalgic love for, one of which I just discovered and have an, an immense love for right as of now. And uh, But we are, of course, talking about 
Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, 1964. Then we're going to talk about Land of the Lost, 1974. And then we are going to be following it up with The Voyagers. That was 1982, I believe. Correct, Zach? 1980 dose. Okay, you son of a bitch. If only it was 1984, this would have been perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't blame me. Blame (laughs) Jeffrey Jones. Exactly, exactly. Double J. So, yeah, so we're going to be diving into these obscure shows from our youth. And before we jump into Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, because I figured we'll just tackle them uh, in order of, of decade, Anybody got anything to throw out before we uh, jump in? Before we submerge ourselves below? Well, I just want to say really quick that, uh, you know, in selecting our various shows per episode, a little behind the scenes for our faithful pedestal listeners. Padsters, I guess. Padsters. You know, when, when we're, we don't always come up with a direct theme, but it just kind of fits that way. So when Corey and Diallo had chosen theirs and they're like, okay, Zach, what are you going to choose? And I thought, well, my favorite decade, of course, will be on deck. Uh, and it just kind of worked. It was kismet. Yeah. I mean, I, th- this, this, this was uh, a slam dunker, if you will. So I'm ready to voyage into the deep, land of the lost of all of these episodes there you go yeah the the loose theme is misbegotten voyages right <laughs> yeah it's fair the yeah. continuing fair voyages <laughs> a lot of falling yeah lot of, there's falling there's falling there's connections with all three yes there there's a lot of connections with all three and uh but the biggest connection is our nostalgia and as we always say we should make we should actually put this on a t-shirt nostalgia is a hell of a drug <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> so we should you know who should we should have like pointing at the on the t-shirt it just should be a cartoon of like a gi joe character pointing and say nostalgia is a hell of a drug and do yeah, that in that font yeah duke, yeah, duke. <laughs> good old duke. Be the duker <laughs> all right guys i am going to kick us off with voyage to the bottom of the sea and this is going to be an interesting one because Corey went down a weird hole here, but uh, I'll just I'll, I'll, I'll kick it off, give it a little tail of the tape here. Um, so this, of course, is loosely based on the movie from 1961. Um, both of them, the movie and the show, was created by Irwin Allen. Irwin Allen also directed the movie. Uh, he also created Lost in Space, The Time Tunnel, and Land of the Giants. Uh, interestingly enough, I was talking to Myra offline about this, um, this one, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, is technically his most successful because it's his longest running show. But I would argue that Land of the Lost clearly, no, I'm sorry, lo- uh, Lost in Space, yeah. uh, clearly won overall as far as like pop culture goes because we all know that show. I was going to say, too, that he is the godfather of like disaster movies. Oh, okay. So, okay. You know, when it comes to like Towering Inferno and. Uh, Earthquake and I think Poseidon Adventure I'm pretty sure he produced those movies so the guy is like a creator among he's the in my opinion one of the greatest creators of entertainment of all the times yeah in my opinion so he's the Dean Devlin of the uh, 60s 
yes. yeah, but he didn't star in movies before this. With Dean Devlin, you know. Yeah. What movie did we watch, Zach? That had Dean Devlin in it? Was it? Uh, oh, he was in. Well, Dean Devlin was in. Um, was it three fifteen? Real Genius in the Wildlife. No, something we in. reviewed. He he jumped. He came in as a. It was the one with um Jake Speed as the teacher, and Dean. Oh, three fifteen. Yeah, three fifteen. Yeah. He had a little cameo in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. So good. 315, which all y'all should listen to if you haven't already. Definitely, definitely. So this was an ABC show. Uh, it was on It was on air between 1964 and 1968. And like I said, it's based on the movie of the same name from 1961. It's not a continuation. It's more like the movie exists and this exists separately. Of the 110 episodes produced, the first season with the first 32 are black and white, even though the movie was actually filmed, uh, the made for the first episode was actually filmed in color, but they aired it in black and white. So the first season is in black and white, and then the following, oh. yep, yep, okay. and then the following three seasons are in, are in color. And the first two seasons technically take place in the 70s, even though this t- is was filmed in 1964. And then the third and the fourth season are technically take place in the 80s, which is which is pretty mm. interesting. Um, so, pef- real quick, it stars Richard Basehart um, as the admiral, and he. He had a lot of, of credits and everything, but the one that stand out to me the most was he was the narrator on Knight Rider. He was not Kit's voice. That was the teacher, you know, from from the show. What, what show is that? Uh, with Topanga oh. and... Um, Boy Meets World. Boy Meets, Boy Meets World, World. Yeah. yeah. he That was the voice of Kit. But this, he was the narrator, uh, Richard Basehart. And then the captain was David Hedison, another guy that has a shit ton of credits. But, you know, it's a lot of, like, 50s, 60s, and, and 70s stuff. Uh, but they're, they're both still alive. Um, the first season, the first season that was in black and white, it was very thematically different from seasons two, three, and four. In season one, they primarily were kind of going against uh, other countries. Um, it was all very political, a lot of Cold War allegories, yada, yada, yada. But in seasons two, three, and four, they went much heavier in the sci-fi. They went into, you know, they had an episode. Just look on IMDb. You will see the names are just are so dramatically different. Like in season two, they're fighting the Abominable Snowman. There's like a, a werewolf in season three it's it's wild wild stuff um a couple other redesigns happened between season one and two besides uh going from black and white to color they made a couple uh changes to the the sea view um uh, submarine and it's a little like like uh they changed the how many windows were in the front of it although so basically they went from like having six port windows in the front, like these hashes to like more of a straight line. But then it's funny mm. because in seasons two through four, they would use a lot of stock footage from season one. And <laughs> so it would just kind of bounce back and forth between the old design and the new design. But then in season two, they added that, um, that little sub that could break off from the sea view and actually could fly. So it, it created, it allowed the show to branch out 
out a little bit further and, and do more things than just be on on the, the sea view, the submarine. It's kind of like uh, how Deep Space Nine, when they added like an actual ship to take them off of Deep Space Nine, it really sort of opens up the, the storytelling devices and everything. Um, but I just actually watched that episode today. Actually. When they when they added the <laughs> they got the, the, the Defiant, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool ship, by the way. Very cool yeah. ship. Um, speaking of cool ship, I think most people out there, if they've never seen this show, they probably recognize the Sea View sub. It looks like your typical sub, a little bit beefier, and it has this really cool front end to it and like kind of has like ports on the front where you can see out um when you watch the show and they actually show like the 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 bridge you can actually see through that they do some cool stuff with you know blue screen and everything and some practical effects to kind of give give it the look that they're submerging and stuff and uh as a kid I was a huge fan of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I was I was a big, like, submarine fan. Um, I liked underwater stuff. I liked scuba gear and all that kind of stuff. So I gravitated towards this. I was like, oh, this is neat. I like this. And I think it was one of those shows that I watched on Nick at Night. Now, per Corey's weird, weird, like, misconceptions, as you probably remember, Zach, in the Top 8 80s video game episode, um... I when you were talking about elevator action, I, I thought you were talking about Rolling Thunder. And so when I was watching this show, I'm like, I recognize it, but I thought it was like a post-apocalyptic show. And so I was watching hmm. an episode in the first season. I found an episode in the first season that had like an eight on IMDB, like the highest rated episode. Bored me to fucking tears in in the first ep- in the first season i was like oh no guys i was like oh no first off i thought the quality was great and i thought the acting was awesome like i kind of love old 60s style acting and talking i just think that's really cool but boy yeah. oh boy was it boring as shit and then i went to season two and i landed on the episode that i actually remember and it's called the skies on fire and so I'm watching that, reading some trivia on it, and it's basically basically uh, a meteor sets the southern hemisphere on fire, and they have to launch a nuke. There's some political intrigue to it and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's a really good episode. I really enjoyed it. But at the same time, I was reading, and apparently it was more of a retooling of the 1961 movie. So I don't truly know what I'm remembering. I don't know if I'm remembering the movie or the show, but I remember the, the ship, I remember all the actors and all the characters, and I remember the sky being on fire, and I, me- I remember being terrified as a kid because I was like, oh, my God, the world's going to end, you know? Yeah. So, again, like I said, I don't know if I remember the show or the movie, but regardless, it was a voyage to the bottom of the sea of some sort. And after watching a few episodes, I can say, first off, skip the first season, for God's sakes. <laughs> so fucking boring. But after that, oh, my God. It's, I mean, you know, it's hit or miss quality-wise, but get ready for a wild ride. And, and I'll just wrap it up by saying that the, the, what I've read on this show, this episode that we're doing is not going to do it justice. There was a lot of stuff behind the scenes that happened. Second season, uh, the main guy, um, what, uh, what was his name, uh, Baseheart, he got sick, so they had to retool stuff in the, the end of the second season. Just all kinds of stuff happened on this show. You know, they were trying to add a female character to it, but then they they kind of did some, um, you know, testing and found out that, you know, it was mostly kids watching the show, which is also why the show gets a lot more zany um, by the end of the fourth season. 
And I'll finally say that in the episode of The Skies on Fire, there was not a single female in that entire episode. And it was like I was in the last 10 minutes of the show and I was like, wait a minute. Is there not a fucking woman on this on this ship at all? And they tried to actually add a secretary to create a love interest. Didn't work out because, again, like I said, they found it, kids only care about this show. So they really leaned hard into the zaniness. And that is where Jesus. I stand on Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. What do you guys? What did you guys think of it when you when you saw it? Well, I kind of uh, so I I remember it. I didn't really watch it uh, anywhere close to religiously, but it was in this. It was in that little sphere of Erwin uh, Allen shows. I remember. I don't remember what I what channel it used to come on, but they would show like Land of the Giants, um, Lost in Space. Uh, What's uh, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea and uh, time, the time, tunnel? time Time Tunnel? Time Tunnel, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a little block that they showed, so I would kind of like watch those. And um, this was the one I watched probably the least, um, but I do remember watching it. And I like this kind of like you. I wasn't as into submarine movies uh, as a kid, but I loved you know Twenty Twenty Thousand Leagues Beneath the Sea. And um, but it was funny for me because it's it was always like. Whenever I, I recognized it as being like Star Trek, but under the sea, and I'd always opt for space instead of <laughs> underwater, <laughs> you know. Okay. So let me chime in real quick. I'm watching it on my iPhone while Myra is is cooking in the kitchen, and she's like, "Are you watching Star Trek?" And I was like, "That's funny that you say that." I'm like, "Because yeah. this show is Star Trek under the ocean." I mean, they even had like away teams. That's the diver team, and yeah. and even the captain. Like in the episode that I saw, the admiral, he was the one that figured out literally how to save the Earth. I'm like, wow, that man is way too too smart to be like, you know, <laughs> commanding a, a sub. A sub yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it, but it's like it's like the Captain Kirk scenario. It's like these people, and I guess it's it's cool. I like that the people on here on this boat are probably the creme de la creme of the human race. You know what I mean? Like just right. the smartest people you can possibly get. Although they're not because <laughs> they're some some of the people are actual goons. But you know, it's it's a cool concept that I do agree that Star Trek did better. Yeah, I mean, you know, that, you know, watching this, actually, I was, you know, putting it in context that, you know, I, like a few months ago, I just finished rewatching all of the original series of Star Trek. And I saw so in my brain, I was kind of comparing and I could I could see how they basically took a lot of the concepts from Voyage Beneath the Sea and just used them in space. So um, it definitely, um, you know, wasn't as original as, as I guess we like to think. Um but yeah, like, I like. I thought it was cool. Um, you talking just now answered a lot of questions I had in the back of my mind while I was watching. Because as I was searching for episodes to watch, like I kind of I knew that a lot of them were in black and white, but I also know there were some were in color. And I ended up finding the pilot, which was in color, and then I was confused about the rest of the show. Oh, so I couldn't find the pilot. I looked for the pilot because Daily Motion had a gazillion episodes, yeah. but I couldn't find the pilot. So the, it actually the the copy you found was in color because they did they did film it in color, but then they they aired it in black and white. Yeah, so and white, cool. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah. So it's out there. Um, yeah. And then the and there was the the thing about the admiral that you were just saying that and because like I watched I watched two episodes I watched the pilot and then I watched one from I don't know, like season four three or four, and um, 
the th- the thing with the admiral came back up like he was gone and he came back and then I was I was like just wondering I was like is this a new actor like is he like a new character they're bringing in or what I didn't really get it but um, yeah also like Buddy Epson I think was in the pilot too from um, uh, like Green Acres was that the show yeah. yeah and I think so. yeah I think he dies in the pilot or something they they have a new captain the other captain takes over yeah. or something yeah. like that yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 so. That was cool. But yeah, I like it was cool. I like um, I dug the, you know, like you like you. I like that 60s vibe. I like the um, the 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 scuba gear that they were like the the uh, primary color scuba mm-hmm. gear. Yeah, I just I, I've always loved that look, you know, um, that's kind of like reminiscent of uh, what's your name um, from um, uh, Kill Bill, her outfit that she oh, wears. Oh, yeah, the bride. Yeah. 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 And just, you know, I just like that look. Um race bannon kind of kind of deal going on from yeah uh, no it's it's total yeah it's total uh johnny quest type of stuff it's it all comes you know all those cartoons they're homaging shows like this and like you said you know uh yeah i i too love just the look of these sets especially in color i think they look beautiful in color Mm -hmm. Uh, i love the bridge I, i mean i remembered it all you know i just didn't remember specific plot points and stuff but i remembered the way the bridge looked and everything and uh interestingly enough they actually i believe um decommissioned a lot of that those props and stuff and like some of those like um machines wound up in the Batman cave and, in, in, you know, the oh, 1966 wow. Batman and what. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's kind of cool. Sense. But, like, I love that old style of acting, the way you deliver those lines. I love the way they punch. It's so – it's just so fucking <laughs> Kirk. It's just Captain Kirk, you know? I love that shit, man. So, good sh- – uh, Zach, man, what, what, what's your, what was your take on this? Well, I, I watched all three with, uh, with my son Bodhi to, to gauge – his opinion, the Bodhi scale, um, and so when we when we were scanning YouTube for episodes, we landed on uh, season three episode uh, called "The Mummy." Okay, I think it's called "The Mummy," and it's about a mummy. <laughs> it's about the captain and his second in command, and they bring a um, they bring a uh, what do you call it? The uh, sarcophagus on the ship, and they have to transport it to Egypt. They have to get it uh, there at a certain time uh, because there's going to be a war that's going to take uh, go off if they don't make it in time, basically deliver this as a token of good faith uh, to warring governments. And so that concept alone was cool to me. So, cause I love the idea of a timeline, you know, uh, you know, something, a sense of urgency. And then um, the mummy comes to life and starts attacking everybody on the ship. And of course the first person to get attacked is wearing a red shirt, which I thought was kind of funny. Like, oh, there's your red shirt, Star Trek reference. Um, but Bodhi pointed out something he really liked. Cause he liked this show a lot. He, this episode specifically, uh, even though it was slow at times and that's like kind of typical of this era, it was the sound design mm. and being in the sub and con- constantly hearing the, you know, the, the sonar mm. going off. And he really thought he's like, it really makes you feel like you're in a submarine and like, oh, that's cool. This is good. It's effective. Yeah. You know, like I, I did not watch a lot of 60s shows as a kid. Um, Man from Uncle, I think, was the one I probably watched the most of down to the point that I have like action figures from that time. Um, but but so. This show I was not familiar with. I don't think I ever watched it back then. Um, 
but I could see like the concepts. I was I was going through the episodes and going, oh, I want to watch the werewolf one. I want to watch this monster. I, this sounds wicked awesome, and I love uh, sub anything in a submarine. It's so claustrophobic and creepy. And then the, at one point, the the sub crashes to the sea level, but they make a comment about how it's not deep enough for there to be. Uh, excess in pressure so the divers can go out and repair and so they actually and took, it was cool. considered that kind of stuff yeah like it, they, they covered all the bases which i appreciate the heck out of um and yeah like everybody you were talking about how it's very homogenized and uh gender specific it, it's it's like the, you know your typical 60s show all white dudes and no chicks yeah. like, Did that was, was the thing that like when i was watching this I was just like, man, there are a lot of white dudes. In this. It really is, you <laughs> know, but it lot. also is, it's like a time, it's a, it's a time capsule for what uh, yeah. was going on back then and wh- how they cast. Uh, you would never see that today, no, you know, no. and, you know, look at Sequest DSV or whatever. It's like they, uh, they, they took that mold and they went with it. But, um, but I, I mean, I really appreciated it and enjoyed it. It felt, yeah, at times it was clunky and slow, but it, but but then the high peak action moments were fantastic, and the the uh, the climax of the episode when they basically shock the mummy to death uh, or back into like freezing it, uh, Bodhi was like, "Oh, that's so cool!" Whoa. Like he was yelling at the TV. Yeah. He yelled at all three episodes for various reasons, and I'll get to all of those as we go along. But uh, no, on the on the Bodhi scale, uh, he gave this, you know, like. A one out of ten, he gave this an eight. Nice. So he enjoyed wow, it. Wow, that's uh, that's really impressive for yeah. a show that was in nineteen like sixty four or whatever. That's, but I'm I'm not gonna lie. Like I, I do again, I concede that if you guys have any interest in the show, I'm sure there are other uh, documentaries that really dive into it because there's a lot behind the scenes about this show and there's really a lot to dive into. But I would honestly love to have a box set of it because even though I was like I said, really bored with that episode from the first season. I did. I was also very impressed by the quality of it. I was impressed by the quality of the acting. I was impressed by the quality of the production design. Now, of course, that had a lot to do with the fact that they were able to actually use a lot of the stuff that, that, that from the movie. So, it, out of the gate, they didn't have to build that on a TV budget. They already had it, which is, I think, goes a long way to making them the the show stand out. But my biggest takeaway is that I was really impressed with the quality of the show throughout every episode that I saw well i would add too and i know you said earlier on that you know like Irwin allen was the dean devlin i would gather to say that maybe he was more of like a bruckheimer or uh yeah bruckheimer uh or joel silver in the sense that the the the, the variety of what he was producing was so eclectic and um and in overall like yeah i totally see what you're saying about you know the the this this is a perfect show that will put you to sleep in a good way. Yeah. It'll like lull you yeah. to sleep, you know, <laughs> but not in a bad way. We're like, I'm so bored. It's like you're watching, you're enjoying it, and then you just fall asleep into La La Land. <laughs> well, I, I, in a good way. And I mean that yeah, in a good yeah, thing. Yeah. It's a good thing. You know, when I was watching the pilot, there was a, you know, the sequence when they had to swim underwater to get to whatever. <laughs> there, was, there was a whole sequence where they had to like they were fighting over who was the best diver and then they they went but i just the fact watching them actually diving with scuba gear in actual water and knowing that it was a thing that was actually happening really impressed me 
Like, yeah. Just knowing this was like 1964 <laughs> and like they were like they were doing it, you know, and like now I just like, you know, there's this thing that happens now where they can do more things visually, but, you know, most of it's fake. Um, but for things that we have a real world reference that they actually u- utilize, it was. And so it just it made the whole thing feel more perilous, you know, so I, mm-hmm. I really appreciated the scope of it and the epicness of that, at least the pilot episode was uh, I, that part really impressed me. And um, the concept of it, it was a pretty high concept um, idea that they had. Yeah. Um, so it was, yeah, totally. I, I really dug it. And um, again, it's like, I can't remember any episodes really that I watched over the years, but I just, I remember like watching it from time yeah. to time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it definitely, it was a cool, cool stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah. What, what I kept coming back to, with all three shows was this theme that a time when imaginations mattered that Mm -hmm. you actually had to use your imagination and use uh suspension of disbelief mattered where you're like okay clearly this is a model but just let that go and use your imagination and have fun and take yourself back to a time and a place when this is all we had this is the best we could do and lose yourself in that and see if it still holds up or see if it's actually better if you put it in that context. Like for me, when I put it in those contexts, like old Doctor Who, when I watch old Doctor Who, yeah, it's it's got its moments where you're like, oh, that's clearly a plunger or styrofoam ball. <laughs> you're like, just lose yourself. Yeah. Allow yourself to just, uh, you know, let that judgment go. Yeah. Let that judgment go, man. And for a six-year-old to sit there when all he loves to watch right now, well, he's super into Killer Tomatoes, but that's because of me probably. (laughs) But, you know, like SpongeBob SquarePants and, uh, you know, Plants vs. Zombies. And for him to sit there and, like, yell at the screen and go, whoa, cool. That speaks volumes. I I think then again, my kid's a little (laughs) different from other people's kids. No, dude, I I honestly think that's a bigger testimony to the quality of the the show than anything that we could possibly say because he has no nostalgia to it whatsoever. And uh, I think that's freaking awesome. And my final thought is... You know, I'll just say the whole time I was watching it, I felt like I was I was back like a kid watching TV with my grandpa on Nick at Night. So, cool. honestly, that it hit that mark for me, and that's really all that matters, you know. Hey, everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey, everybody, welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim, and with me today in studio is co-host Dean. Oh, hey, Dean. hey, Tim. Dean? Huh? Uh, this isn't a full episode. This is actually just an ad. All we have to do is tell everyone that our podcasts come out on Mondays, and they can find us on their favorite podcatcher. If they're into movies, comics, or video games, they should definitely check us out. Oh, Well then, thanks everybody for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Talking Back. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion you're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it.
And now, back to the show. But another show that I used to freaking love and probably I would have brought it to the table and I'm sure Zach would probably would have too as well at some point but uh Land of the Lost 1974 Diallo my man what is up with the, what is up <laughs> what is with this show <laughs> Land of the Lost Yeah so this uh, yeah Land of the Lost it's like you know there's like a pantheon of like shows that define <laughs> like me and my childhood um and that is probably in the top three. Um, so uh, yeah, so Land of the Lost. Uh, it was uh, ran for three seasons from 1974 to 1976. It was on NBC. Uh, it was created by David Gerald, who actually was the writer of the pilot episode of uh, the new Star Trek. Uh, like so not the new star trek but like when they they did their first pilot and then um they went oh. back and added captain kirk and stuff yeah so he was the writer of that episode uh the, where no man has gone before star trek has two pilots technically right the, right. the original star trek series right one with uh christopher pike, pike and then the yeah. one with um mr uh, captain kirk um, so he Mr. Wrote the, Mr. Mr. Yeah, I was about to say Mr. Spock. <laughs> Mr. Captain. Mr. Captain. That's Captain. Mr. Captain. That's Captain to you, sir. Mr. Dabalina. Mr. Bob Dabalina. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so yeah, he he wrote you know wrote quite a few episodes. Um, it was a Sid and Marty Croft show. You might know them um, for other uh, Sid and Marty Croft shows like HR uh, Puff and stuff. There was a kind of I mean. It's a, a it's a obscura into a, of itself called Lidsville. Um, another one called Electra and Diana, Electra Woman and Diana Girl. Um, yeah, uh, tons of those. And you know, some 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 of those might end up uh, on my. Uh, my I'm still waiting for Electra Woman and Diana yeah. Girl, man. Yeah, still yeah. waiting. That might, that might end up, like those. Yeah, again, those all of those I can sing every last theme song of every last show. <laughs> so. They were, that was my, that was my jam back in the day. Um, so yeah, it ran on, it ran for three seasons, which is, you know, for a show like that, actually for, for all the, the, those Croft shows, they were kind of like cheap. So what they, <laughs> they would do is like maybe air seven, like do 10 to 20 episodes and then just run them in syndication forever and ever and ever and ever Jesus. and ever and ever and ever. Um, but with uh, Land of the Lost, it was actually so big that it actually had three full seasons. Um, and then after it had three full seasons, then they ran it in syndication forever and forever and forever. So it was in syndication from uh, 78 to 1985, which took you know, quite a long time. And they had a, um, <clears throat> they had a, uh, a package called Croft Superstars, which is where mm -hmm. I watched. End up, I mean, I watched a lot of those when they aired on TV originally, but... Like I started watching them continuously in syndication, um, and then it actually came back. Um, yeah, in 1985, it actually came back on broadcast um, because there was a show called Pryor's Place, um, but with Richard Pryor, it's like a kid show, Saturday morning, and that had gotten canceled. So they brought um, it back, Land of the Lost, to replace that, and that was on CBS. So. Oh, well, what, what, what year was that? When? What was that? Nin 1985. That's where I, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll let you, you know, keep talking, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, that must be where I, I was wondering where I saw it, whether it was in syndication or whatever. I knew it was on Saturday morning, so uh -huh. it must have been then on 85 because I would have been seven. Perfect. Yep. It, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, so um, it so it starred uh, Spencer Milligan as Rick Marshall. He was the dad. Um, he was only on the first two seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a uh, sort of like a contract dispute, and so he got summarily executed <laughs> for <laughs> for the last season. And actually, you know, it's actually from what I'm understanding, he actually. And I mean, this is again 1974. It would have been like 75 or so, 76, and. It was before they really knew about merchandising and that kind of stuff. So Land of the Lost was so popular that it actually was making like a ton of money, like, you know, lunch pails and all that other stuff. And and he was just like he wanted to get a piece of that. And not only for him, but like for the rest of the cast. And instead of so he was holding out for his contract, then they just got rid of him. So that was that. Um, We'll cast another Mike Brady looking motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. Well, kind (laughs) of. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then, uh, what else is, so the, uh, uh, Will Marshall, he was, uh, played by Wesley Yuri, I think is his name. How do you say his last name? Um, but, but he, correct me if I'm wrong, he was billed as just Wesley. Uh, yeah. In so the credits, I was like, yeah. I noticed I was like, like Prince, like Madonna. Yeah. So you're, yeah. you're just Wesley. Same. Okay. Wesley. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I actually terrible. never, you know, cause I, when I was a kid, I always knew that it was just, was just Wesley. And I always, again, I got this, it was this weird ethereal thing about it. Like I, what was his deal? Um, but uh, what I discovered was, and this is actually weird. I didn't really know this until very recently because um, so Days of Our Lives is the greatest soap opera that ever has lived. <laughs> <laughs> and he actually was on Days of Our Lives um, at the same time as he was on Land of the Lost. Oh, shit. He was doing double duty? Yeah, he was doing. So he would do Days of Our Lives in the morning and then he would go over to the um, Land of the Lost set. So he did that for three years. And as a, I guess as a sort of like a publicity thing, he used Wesley just for Land of the Lost, but he used uh, his full name for um, Days of Our Lives. And he was on okay. Days of Our Lives until 1981. So Damn. he was on there. He was wow. Michael Horton. Um, if you've ever watched the Days of Our Lives, you know he comes from the Horton family, which is very important <laughs> in Springfield. <laughs> Uh, sure sure (laughs) so he actually went on he actually went on to uh create i don't know if you've ever heard a a television show called dragon tales it was on in the late uh late 90s he actually helped create and develop that as well the cartoon yeah yeah and so you know there's also another a little connection i'm going to keep talking about days so there's a little connection <laughs> there, which is really interesting because it goes back to Electra Woman and Dino Girl, who was played by Deidre Hall. Um, uh, uh, Electra Woman was played by Deidre Hall, who actually ended up becoming Marlena Evans on Days of Our Lives. Oh, and okay. he actually helped coach her for her audition for, um, for Marlena Evans um, when she was on, you know, because they're... He was on, I think they were, I think he was done with Land of the Lost, but she was on Electra Woman and Dino Girl, and I guess all of the Croft family just kind of hangs out randomly, <laughs> and so okay. he got connected with her and helped her actually get that gig. So again, if you hmm. watch Days, it's like, it's a, that's a, Marlena Evans is a big deal in Days, okay? That's all I'm saying. So, so Wesley coached her and my note for the first episode is Wesley's the worst actor I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life what's up with that 
Yeah, I, it was funny when you were saying that. I don't agree with like, that. Like, I don't agree with that. Yeah, I think like he was. <laughs> the dad he, he was the definitely. Dad, okay. <laughs> the dad was bad too. <laughs> he was but definitely was like, like over Wesley. the top and kind of in your. But I don't know. I liked him. I mean, I know. liked him too. I especially liked his open shirt. <laughs> I used to rock that. I used to rock that look back in the yeah. day. In yeah. the pilot episode, I was, I was like, the daughter, the youngest daughter, hair. is so much better than he is. He was, he was okay. so over the top. But you know what? I'm not gonna lie to you. That makes sense if he's a soap opera actor and he's yeah. doing like double duty on the same day. He's yeah. probably like, oh, I'm bringing. And if he's doing the soaps in the morning, he's bringing that 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 weird acting style. Now I'll say that I watched the first two episodes. Weirdly, maybe because there was a time difference, but uh, when they recorded them, but I thought his his acting improved dramatically in the second episode. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, who I don't know what the yeah the, the timing was, but well, yeah, I also I'll also say too when when you're speaking to everybody with a monotone voice like this and never going above that level like the dad does it makes for a certain acting style it's very interesting it makes you learn something at the same time but you're never getting upset which he, is really interesting he was kind of like passive aggressive <laughs> he, he, he made you feel like you wanted to go to sleep right yeah <laughs> even in the, but then wesley's the like oh my god and then i like that you know? Jack, yeah, I mean, let I, me carry you with your bad leg. Yeah, yeah. Let me <laughs> let me try to carry you so awkwardly. It was the most awkward carrying I've ever seen of one actor carrying another. <laughs> and it, I'm, I'm, it's very easy to shit on the show, but I don't hate it. Trust me, I do yeah. not hate it. I'm not I, shitting I, no, on it. No, for me, it is very easy for me to shit on this show. But uh, I did watch the second episode, yeah. um, the the one with the Skeksy, no, Sleestacks. Sleestacks. The Sleestacks. And I mean, dude, because like, you know, watching the first episode, I was like, okay, this is cool. I remember the T-Rex. I remember yeah. their house and everything. And um, I was going to ask if there was – the pilot almost feel felt like it was fully baked. Like they they had their, their cave fort. They had their crane winch thing. So there was no pilot movie that came before no. the first episode? Okay. Yeah, that was back in the day when, you know, they didn't really do that all that much, especially for a kid's show. So it was it's, just kind of like – Especially yeah. since the, the, the intro is sort of the pilot. It tells you everything you right. need to know. And personally, I love stuff like that. I love, mm-hmm. I, I, first off, I love the intro to this mo- this show. Um, I love how it uses, like, miniatures and they superimpose them over it. Every time it came on when I was a kid, I loved it. I, I also love miniatures. I think miniatures are awesome. So I would just, like, stare at that intro. And that T-Rex always scared the shit out of me because yeah. I felt like it was, like, a legit element of danger even though it clearly looks silly but when you're seven years old yeah. it's like there's a t-rex like sticking its head into your house like that's yeah. crazy to me you know really yeah. uh, maybe i was maybe i was a gullible little seven-year-old dude. i mean i'm with i'm with you Corey. i mean i like i was what i was like five or six when it like aired you know so yeah when i first saw it and i was i was young enough and like you know one of my notes for for the stuff is i wrote yeah i wrote cheesy but i believed it yeah you know? yeah i did as a and kid i mean it's it doesn't it, it's one of those things where it, it doesn't hold up very well now um yeah. a lot of blue screen and stuff like that and and what although i think chalk i actually thought chocolate looked pretty decent um well, but the, the, the cool. sleestacks are still i think the highlight of the show to me 
Well, it's funny that you mentioned the blue screen because that actually, this show was actually one of the first ones to use it. That was actually a brand new technology when they made that show. And it was like a blue screen and not a green screen like they use now. Like yeah. that's how old it was. And yeah, they, yeah, it like was like, Megaforce. it was like yeah. they weren't, it was, it wasn't even really used um, by anybody, but this kid's show, you know? So yeah. Um, and we also, you know, another thing, like we all forget, all of us forget that Jurassic Park is what like set the bar for dinosaurs. And yeah. that was in 1993. Right. Yeah. yeah. So everything before that was like, like, I bet we can look at back on most of it and we'd be like, oh, yeah, that's not that doesn't look cool. So, I mean, at the time, like the stop motion <laughs> dinosaurs that look kind of like uh, styrofoamy kind of now, like that was like, I mean, back then that was like terrifying. But, but but the fact that they even had stop motion is impressive as hell because yeah. that is a time consuming, expensive process and what who cares what the the t-rex looks like design wise i think it looks fantastic as like a stop motion animation thing you know yeah fantastic well, yeah. you know it's it's <laughs> i mean i will tell you I, I will tell you from from a kid's perspective bodie and bodie enjoyed it mm-hmm. like he liked he 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 was laughing his ass off when they in the pilot when they stuck the uh the 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 pole in the t-rex's yeah. mouth like <laughs> But in a way, like, he was like, yes, they got him, you know? It wasn't like, oh, my gosh, that's so bad. It was more just like, yeah, mm-hmm. they got him, you know, uh, which which is cool. I thought he was he was totally having a suspension of disbelief, which was effective and important to note. Um, I noticed that neither, neither of you pointed out the fact that when Chaka first met Will and Holly, <clears throat> he called them rear and hurry and i'm like oh, that is so racist I'm making chaka like this little racist kid uh, first of all I'm, and then he changed it soon after that suddenly he was calling him will and holly i'm like okay 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 that's just interesting if you go back and like the first time he meets him he goes rear hurry <laughs> like wow that's terrible anyways um no, I, you know that 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 the kind of leathery puppet they were using for for the dinosaur. It, it's it's cheesy, but yeah, like kids still dig it, because it, yeah, you're right. Tension is tension, and so and uh, and and action is action. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. And and if a kid, and this is a nod to maybe parents that don't have kids that are using their their imagination enough. If a kid has a good imagination, he's gonna he or she's gonna enjoy it. Yeah, that's I think so. All that matters. Yeah. Zach, did you grow up watching Land of the Lost? Oh yeah, I did. I did in the same vein. Like I probably watched it in the late seventies and, and throughout the eighties. Um, and I watched it hit or miss here and there. And I had a fondness back then, a nostalgic fondness. Oh, I love Land of the Lost. And then that terrible movie came out with Will Ferrell, oh my God. which proves that just doesn't matter how funny you are if you got a bad script then you know it's going to be dog doggy doo-doo um and i'm the whole time i'm watching it now i'm like they should totally remake this with a serious tone Mm -hmm. first of all and that would have a whole other vibe to it but just don't cast brendan Fraser, please (laughs) uh i love how people are like oh my god i'm so glad he's back you're like are you really are you really because he's He's not that great, um, but that's a whole other episode. But no, I, I had a nostalgia to it when I was a kid. 
I feel like there might have been action figures for this back in the day, right? And I was Police so action or something? figure oriented. Yeah, yeah they. I don't. Yeah, I think I, so. I, I, Amigo, I remember maybe? seeing like uh, some, some, but I don't. Remember. It wasn't like a thing thing with those, but um, yeah, it wasn't like they made the whole family. <clears throat> and you know, um, a company like Super Seven, who puts out every single figure on the planet for obscure shit, they made Red Dawn figures for yeah. Christ's sake. Which is pretty dope. Oh, geez. They they should make Land of the Lost figures. Um, you know, I, I I love that. Like, they're they're filming it all in one location, kind of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they're just and, and it's super low budge, but there's something really badass about that. I love that. I love all Sid and Marty Croft stuff. Well, um, that that's one of the things that I um, you know watching it now and like just knowing a little bit more about like how you know, productions and that kind of stuff. Plus thinking about like, if they had done it today, how different would it be? And the, the fact that they were on uh, sound stages with um, like a lot of matte paintings and that kind of stuff that all added to that feeling of it being like this mystical other place that um, you, you can't like, like today they would go to Hawaii now to film it. And it just, it's, it still wouldn't have that same feel that this has, you know? So you'd almost need to, to capture that same feel. You'd almost need to do like it on a soundstage, like how, you know, like, like every Tim Burton movie is like on a, at a yeah. set, you know? Um, Which I love. It actually I love good. that shit. I, I, yeah. I love, I love outdoors that are that are sets you know i mm-hmm. think i yeah. think it's a it's a cool aesthetic and and you're you're right it gives it this otherworldly feel to it and i just want to address the fact that your boy Corey is this year's old when he discovered that they went to another planet and not back in time i always <laughs> thought they were on earth they just went back in time my mind was blown when i found out they went to another fucking planet i didn't realize that <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know that you, I wouldn't like say that you were like dumb for for thinking that or anything. Like Especially it wasn't with like, a title that said "Land of yeah. the Lost." Yeah, it was. It, it wasn't like, Land it wasn't like explicitly world. said like what it was. That I mean, that was part of the yeah. whole mysteriousness of it, right? Like they, you know, and they they were on Earth when they fell into it, and there were there were a lot of like over the course of the show, there were a lot of. Um, elements from earth like people from different times on earth that were there so i mean it could be another dimension it could be um like a pocket in earth like who knows who knows but exactly then, then what was, it was there were three moons though that's that was like which was I, I was like how did i never pick up on that in the first place but yeah and yeah. Then maybe that was just the pilot maybe they even didn't they kind of dropped that later on i'm, I'm not quite sure because i haven't watched all of them um but man like i recognized everything from from that you know temple area where the the slea stacks were yeah. you, the lost city yeah, the Lost City place. Yeah. I mean, dude, like everything I recognized down to their outfits. I was like, oh, yeah, the girl, the blonde girl does have like brown pants and a plaid shirt. It's all like coming <laughs> like in. And, and it's genius that they, they had to they kept the same wardrobe because, yeah, they were on a, an expedition and they weren't planning on having, you know, clothes and everything. So they had yeah. the same wardrobe the entire time. But wasn't there a Skeksy or Slee stack at one point that could talk and had like robes or something? Yeah. So, yeah. So that was one. Of, again, so like. Like, one of the one of the cool things about the show was yeah so it, yes it was a kid show 
But it had like some really, really great science fiction writers that like are legit that were behind it. So again, David Gerard created the show. Um, DC Fontana, who was a great Star Trek writer, she wrote a lot of episodes of Land of the Lost. Larry Niven, which is a great science fiction writer, he wrote an episode. Um, ben Bova, who was like the editor of um, a lot of like science fiction um, uh, periodicals over the years, like Omni and stuff, uh, he wrote an episode. And the great Walter Koenig from Star Trek <laughs> wrote an episode, which takes me to what you're talking about. So he wrote the episode that introduced wow. um, Enoch, which is the name of the character. And again, that was one of those, that was an episode that I remember blowing my mind as a kid because. He looked like a stack. He was like a little, like his skin tones were brown. He wore that robe. Mm -hmm. And he was like really smug, you know, and he was just like, he looked down on the stack, and he assumed that they, um, that he was descended from them. Um, Cause he had, like, he had, he had traveled through time and got lost there himself. And then um, one of the twists that I always remember, like to this day, when he found out that, it wasn't that he was descended from them. They were descended from his people. Oh, it that's cool. Blew my mind. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. That's and super, it was that's yeah, cause cool. his that so that all of that the lost city and all that stuff. He realized that was his home, and um, he his civilization collapsed. And a thousand years later, the Sleestack result from that. Okay. And so he oh, had this, cool. and then he had this whole arc about um, like. Um, being more compassionate because of that and yeah so they they had some really cool um concepts in there like some a lot of time travel type stuff um dc fontana in the third season wrote this one episode again one i'll never forget which i always feel like they could use for a film if they ever do it where the the daughter holly like an adult version of her keeps coming through one of the uh pylons to talk to her and like you don't realize it until the very end that that's Actually her, her. Yeah. yeah and then and so you kind of like oh so i guess they get out of here one day maybe who knows um but yeah it was this it was just this whole thing where so you had the you had the other kids like shows hr puff and stuff which that's another show i just i love a million times over um lidsville and all those other ones but those were definitely for kids and this was definitely a kid show it was nothing there was nothing about the show that was for adults <laughs> at all. Like, you know, like we like today we'll watch kids shows like Avatar Last Bender or something. And it's still like there's like an adult uh, feel that you or there's an adult audience that watches that stuff. But for Land of the Lost, I'm like, it was kids show through and through, but it never really talked down to kids It never really assumed that they couldn't get any of those concepts that they were they were doing and that, and again like i those two episodes i brought up i watched them when i was six or seven and like i co continuously over the years think about those two episodes specifically again it has an impact on how i think about writing and that kind of stuff so that's awesome yeah. that's a perfect example too of of um you know this is a show that grows over time versus you know, watching the first episode and you're like, meh, mm -hmm. but give it time, give it time to grow and evolve. Yeah. And, and it, it turns into for, something that for a show like know, that, that was, you enjoy. it was, uh, you know, they were all episodic back then, but like 
like you're saying, it, this one was it was episodic, so you could watch it all over the place. But it did grow over time, which again yeah. wasn't that common for shows back then. So you you no. got this sense of some kind of continuity happening. Um, yeah, because yeah. oftentimes when when shows, you know, if if shows didn't take off right away, they just would ax it or they would just change it constantly, changing it. This seemed like this had a natural evolution. Yeah. Then, you know, but then, so the dad was in the first two seasons and they got rid of him. And then, you know, they brought in, um, what's his name? He was on, uh, he was on Planet of the Apes. Uh, that was the another show that I might the... do. Yeah, the blonde guy. Um, uh, Ron poor Harper. David Soul. His name's Ron yeah. Harper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a. He's a poor man's David Soul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, his name's Ron Harper and he, he played Uncle Jack. Um, yeah, I remember so, that. Yeah, so he was like looking for, like, looking for the family, and he got lost when the dad, um, like, <laughs> again, this did this they always... legit kill the dad? Like, <clears throat> did they kill him? Like, yeah, they didn't kill kill him, but it was like he was. So the in the opening sequence for season three, it's like he was in one of those pylons, and then there was an earthquake again, and he got lost, and they said. It, lost through the gates of time and so you see him falling through it and away so dad's gone and then they're left alone and then uncle jack was looking for them and he goes into the land of the lost and he finds the kids and then they go to a new set which uh, they they've moved out of that the cave um treetop place that they were at uh the cave top place and they were in like a temple but i remember being like every episode it was like i was i was being subjected to trauma (laughs) every (laughs) Yeah, that when the dad would disappear, and I'm just like it ripped him every time, every episode. I'm like, oh, <laughs> they're like, we're gonna put this in the intro, so you're never gonna forget. Yeah, it's I was like, you oh, to that guy, guy the actor. Did he die? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. my god, Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, I, I will say that that you know, uh, from the episodes that I watched, it was it was interesting, and uh, I gotta say, <laughs> highly, highly. Highly fucking bad idea to put a kid in an all fur costume and then give him a fucking torch in the second episode. <laughs> what, did, you, did you guys see that? He would. They had to go rescue the kids from the the uh, yeah. stacks. Uh, there's a point where he's Chaka's holding the torch, and you can tell it's the same actor. It's not a stuntman or whatever, but man, it's like you know, like outstretched arm, but just he's wearing a fur suit. <laughs> and I'm like, you would never give a fucking kid a fur suit and then an open flaming torch to just handle like that. I was like, wow. Yeah. 1964. It's, okay. it's highly it a, irresponsible. suit. It was in his best suit, and he died of cancer yes, five years yeah. later. <laughs> That's the irony: is that the suit was <laughs> impervious to flame, but it gave him cancer. <laughs> J.K. LOL. Oh, that's terrible. But yeah, yeah dude, he, that was, it, he he actually it's the all of those actors. The, the funny thing, all of those actors are like still alive, which is interesting. <laughs> They're <laughs> all around awesome. and kicking, which is like for like because like we keep visiting all these older shows, and it's like oh this you know, this person's gone, that person's gone. But it was kind of cool to see that they are all around and kicking. Um, but yeah, he was Probably actually at conventions. Too. Yeah, yeah, they do it in a lot of conventions. And that kid actually, Philip Paley, he actually was like, I was reading up and watching some stuff about him, and I guess he was like a. That was his first. I think that was his one of his first like TV shows that he did, and he was like a um, something like a martial arts, like 
kid or something like oh, that. Cool. And that's oh, why cool. he got, that's kind of how he got the job because he could move physically or something. So nice. Yeah. Just like it was, it was really interesting to like watch a lot of this, uh, watch a lot of their, the backstories to how the show came about. And again, like, it, it, the, if there's a pantheon of like shows that defined me as a kid that they get that's in my top three i remember playing oh, cool. outside i had a little knife that i would <laughs> carry around with me and climb up in trees and i'd make stuff because i was running from the slea stack and um who bill oh bill lane beer was one of the slea stacks from uh detroit oh, really? Pistons. Yeah, yeah detroit bad boy one of my favorite basketball, yeah, exactly. basketball players of all the times yeah yeah, just had it was Number such 40. a such a interesting like time, and they were like, you know, in Hollywood in the in the mid seventies, and they they were like huge stars, and then they just all you know, faded away just like that, you know. Um, well, but, but you yeah, know it never cool. you, you know it never faded away. The slee stacks. I mean, you can yeah. st- you could show someone a picture of that, and they'll probably if they'll recognize it for sure, no matter what. But they'll most likely know it's from Land of the Lost, if anything. Oh, yeah. And yeah. those things are so iconic. And I'm not gonna yeah. lie, they still look freaking awesome. Like I love yeah. their design. I think they're really really cool looking. Yeah, I still love Shaka Khan. So. <laughs> <laughs> F- flammable Shaka. Oh Shaka. So good, good one, dude. That was definitely a strong one from my, from my childhood. And it was, it was fun to revisit. And honestly, the, the bad special effects don't put me off or anything. So I, I enjoyed it, but, but that one was definitely very nostalgic lens, you know, and everything. Like I said, it was just cheesy, but you believed it. And that's the important part, you know, that's all that matters. Now, Zach Bodie gave a voice to the bottom of the sea. I think you said an eight out of 10. What did he give land of the lost? Did he give that a number? He gave this one a seven. Okay. 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 And that's uh, only because he thought the characters, the, the humans were kind of, he didn't like them that much. He said, I don't (laughs) like them. I said, you like Shaka? He goes, yeah, I liked him. He said, you like when the T-Rex got the spike in his mouth? He goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what boosted up to a seven. And I loved how they, they named the T-Rex Grumpy. And when she kept saying it, I was like, oh, my God, I remember that as a kid. Yeah, yeah. She's like, oh, it's Grumpy. <laughs> grumpy. Yeah, named named all the dinosaurs the little nicknames. Dopey, Alice. <laughs> yep, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Oh, man. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just want to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hello! La la la. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la. Hello everybody, I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. 
We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. And now, back to the show. All right, on to our last show. We are going into the 80s, and this is a show that I had never seen, never heard of, but unfortunately, I do know the the fate of the lead. I, I, I found out about that. Actually, I heard about that with Brandon Lee when, when you know, uh, Brandon Lee died back in the day filming The Crow. Um, he was mentioned. Um, uh, I forgot his name real quick. Zach, what was his name? John Eric Hexum. Yeah, John Eric Hexum. So just before we before Zach jumps into it, I'm going to say it was it was interesting to finally put a face with that story that I had heard before and, and always, you know, so I'm like, oh, it's that guy, the guy that, that accidentally killed himself. And it was, it, it's a, it's a something that I had known, but I didn't know who it was or what show it was. So Zach is taking us into Voyager, the Voyagers from 1982. Take it away, my man. Well, we'll get into that in a second, yeah. but, um, but yeah, Voyagers was a, Unfortunately, a very short-lived television series that aired on NBC in October of 82 and lasted to July of 83. Uh, it aired for 20 episodes, and it got replaced because it was, uh, it was slated alongside C- uh, CBS's 60 Minutes, and obviously 60 Minutes is a juggernaut of television, and NBC wanted some sort of news program to rival that, so they replaced it with some lame-ass news show, and the rest is history. Um, but the show itself, Voyagers, was created by a guy, a guy named uh, James D. Perriott, who also created Misfits of Science. Yeah. And one show. of <laughs> and, and a very underrated um, horror-esque show called Forever Night. Oh. Oh, oh yeah, in the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. In the in the late '80s, early '90s, yep. I believe. It's on USA um, Network. But Voyagers was a show uh, that starred John Eric Hexum and uh, Mino Palouse. John Eric Hexum played Phineas Bogg, who was a time traveler, a otherworldly time traveler who searched, uh, went throughout history, and fixed things that were going wrong. Uh, along the way in the pilot episode, he stumbles upon a kid in 1982 uh, named Jeffrey Jones, played by Mino Palouse. And he um, has a Voyager. So so one of the, 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 the devices he uses to time travel is called the Omni. It's basically like a compass, but he can set the date and time and the location. Um, and then he also has a travel book. But that travel book gets eaten by Jeffrey Jones's dog <laughs> and Jeffrey Jones falls out a window in his in his high rise New York apartment and Phineas goes after him and they travel the world from that point forward. The backstory with Jeffrey is his parents are dead. Um, tragically, they died in a car crash and he was unable to Jeffrey was unable to save them, but saved himself. This is really fucked up. Um, and then he's being raised by his aunt and uncle 
who could give two shits about him. In the opening five minutes of the show, they're like talking about why did his parents have to die? Yeah, that kind it's of like dialogue. So, <laughs> so screwed up. And you're it like, was messed up. It was. F you guys, was. F you in the A, so hardcore, you suck. Uh, so already you have a lot of sympathy for this kid. Um, Phineas is like a, he's a ladies man. All he wants to do is get laid basically, uh, wherever he goes. I mean, that's, let's be honest. That's what he thinks about. Every time he sees a woman, that's what he's focused on. And that's one of his kind of flaws to his character. He doesn't know a lot of history because he's too busy looking at the ladies wherever he goes. Isn't that why he um, like didn't learn anything? And his yeah, <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know how to do anything. He's like, he's let me tell you, there was this blonde sitting right next to me. Right, says on the in the pilot. Uh, but but Jeffrey turns out his dad was a history professor, and because of that, uh, he kind of is the perfect cohort to Phineas because. Uh, Phineas needs someone who knows about history. He goes throughout mostly, um, at at least in the first few episodes, mostly through American history. And they go through like factual moments in time. They go to uh, World War I. They go to uh, Kitty Hawk in the uh, Wright brothers. They they, they meet Benjamin Franklin. They meet... um, Albert Einstein, eventually they make Jack the Ripper, but like all these notable historical characters. And at the end of every episode, you've got uh, Mino, who plays Jeffrey, uh, in a voiceover saying, you know, if you want a real voyage, go to your local library and check out the books based on these, you know, where we got these stories from, which is so badass. And this is like a co-production of Scholastic Books, which I think is really awesome. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so there was this added educational piece done in a way that was super action-packed there were moments that are definitely slow where you're like oh, you could have shaved off five minutes here or there but it's an hour-long show um they had guest stars throughout they had people like you know ed begley jr uh who was these are people who were a big name in the 80s ed begley jr they had um uh jonathan frakes obviously you know, he played Charles Lindenberg, Jonathan Frakes from Star Trek Next Generation. Um, you had Judson Scott, who was also in, I think, Star Trek uh, Wrath of Khan. He played Khan's son. Uh, he played Lawrence of Arabia. Um, you had people like Oliver Clark, who uh, who a lot of people might know from Ernest Saves Christmas. <laughs> uh, he played Sam Winthrop, which is a notable historical character. You know, stuff like that. Like They had these great historical moments in time, and Phineas was always the, guy, the kid who was like, oh, this is when, um, you know, so-and-so writes the the Magna Carta or this is when uh, in the opening ep- uh, pilot episode this is like oh this is Moses this is when yeah. Moses goes yeah. down the river and Egypt. they find him on the night. yeah I was like man they went back like, they went all the way kid. back baby <laughs> yeah and and I mean shit gets dark in the first episode because because uh, you know Phineas doesn't want to have a sidekick with him he's like I work alone and kid and uh, and at one point he he's like where are your where's your he makes some insult to his dad and and Phineas was like, well, my dad's dead. And he's like, well, I would die too if I had to hang around you or something like that. And Phineas obvi- or John, um, Jeffrey you know, rightfully freaks out. And they have like a warm, comforting moment. Um, that that was a- the moment 
that I was like, oh, this show is fucking amazing. That that scene with, with Phineas and Jeffrey on the beach, you know, like Phineas is kind of like, you know, He's, he's not wanting to get close to this kid. First off, he keeps telling him, I'm going to leave you here. And I'm like, well, that's kind of a dick move because, you know, <laughs> the kid's from 1980-something and you are just, like, going to leave him in, like, 1852. But, like, you can always tell that that's kind of like him just being sort of gruff and everything. But, but man, that scene with, with Phineas and, and Jeffrey on the beach, I was like, this is some next-level shit. Like, this is good acting right here, man. Like, this is – and this is also when I was, like – I texted you guys. I was like, where's John Eric he- uh, Hexum been my entire life? And, and of course I know, but like, I-, I was like, he's awesome in this show, dude. He is. Yeah. I mean, first off, he's a gorgeous man, but he's so awesome. His, 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 his charisma is great. His acting is solid. Like he's like, everything was on point with this episode that I watched, man. I was like, holy shit, dude. What This is yeah. wild. Yeah, so I mean, both both him and Mino are fantastic. Yeah, as, uh, as a kid actor, he Jeffrey is is really good because kid actors can yeah. be annoying as shit, and I thought he was actually really fucking good. Yeah, so Mino apparently retired from acting after the show was over, and he's now a history professor. Cool, which I think is pretty badass. That's cool. Um, you know, and and their dynamic throughout this series, and I watched all twenty, and in fact, I bought I ordered the uh, box set today because I was like. Nice. I got to get this shit because nice. it's so good. Yeah. Bodhi loved this show. Bodhi wanted to watch more of it. Uh, he hates when he sees people on screen kissing. So he's like, oh, I don't like that. But <laughs> he liked all the action, especially when they battle the red Baron in a plane. Yeah, that was, that was cool. Um, Sweet. That was but dope. so, so my backstory with this show, when this came out, obviously impressionable young kid, I was like six at the time or seven, six, I think. And um, yeah, I see John Eric Hexum on TV and this is his first big role. And I'm like, this dude is built like a brick shit house. He's a stud. He he looks he's he is like the quintessential leading man for Hollywood. Yeah. And does this show gets canceled, um, and goes on to do a show called Cover Up with I need Jennifer a O'Neill, hero. which is which was a fun show. He played a CIA operative who becomes a uh, who is undercover as a male model. It, you know, it's very plausible, and. Uh, and unfortunately, for those who don't know, and you can look it up, uh, he was on set. He was playing with a prop gun, which had a blank in it. He put the gun to his head, pulled the trigger, and didn't kill himself. But he injured himself to the point where he had to go to the hospital and eventually died at the hospital. Um, height of his, like, not even the height of his career, yeah. just getting started. No, just like Brandon Lee. We were very we similar were to robbed. Brandon Lee. We were absolutely yeah. robbed of an amazing talent like just in like two episodes that i watched i can tell you he was an amazing talent on on the verge of stardom and like i said earlier like i knew that story primarily because of when when uh brandon lee died they kept relating it back to that it's like oh it's kind of like when this guy but i didn't know who he was i kind of never had a face to go with it and it's it's it sucks that like I discovered, I literally, I mean, I, I, I had that thought. I was like, where has this guy been my entire life? I look him up on IMDb, and I'm like, oh, oh, no. And then I'm reading, and I'm like, oh, no, it's him. It's him. Mm. It's the guy that I've, like, you know, it's, it's it's this story that I've known about for so long, but I never knew who it was, and now I'm even doubly sad because I, I literally just fell in love with him and then just found out that he was dead. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is insane because he's fucking fantastic. 
Yeah, he is. And, and they, after he died, NBC tried to capitalize off it by releasing a, a retooled um, like movie, Voyagers the Movie. I think it's what it's it's called something like that. And anyway, anyways, they took the pilot and they took other episodes and they mashed them together. And they did a ton of voiceover of like uh, identifying that these Voyagers are from another planet, uh, that this is another world being, which is a cool concept. Did they edit um, out... Um jeffrey from that or they did or they edited out scenes with him and they focused more on On phineas Phineas. Mm -hmm. which is weird but um and it turns out you know jeffrey's character all all along was meant to be a voyager oh cool uh this voyager race like he was chosen so if you think back to the backstory like watching the pilot and watching a couple other episodes um i'm getting the sense of like well eventually they're going to lead to jeffrey changing time when his parents died so he didn't so his parents didn't die i I felt like that was always the intention all along but what eventually kind of was developing over the course of the first season was that jeffrey was always kind of being groomed to be a future voyager okay like this was intentional that phineas showed up at his you know uh high-rise apartment and saved him because he was supposed to be a voyager with them which is cool which is another cool concept but again going back to john eric hexham you know just another tragic hollywood story the guy would have he would have been a big screen we would have kept we would have we would still be talking about him today he would still be a leading man yeah there's some degree there's a timeline there's a better timeline out there where he is a a leading man and hopefully you know a voyager went back in time and, and saved him because goddamn shame uh but but I, I hope so i i just just to wrap up really quickly i'll i'll just say that um you know a couple things that stand out to me this is an educational show on prime time uh for kids but equally entertaining for parents mm-hmm. where they could get something out. There was the romance angle, you know, which appealed to a certain demographic. And there was the kid angle, which appealed to a certain demographic. Then there was the educational angle. And how cool is that? I, I think they could easily remake this show today. Oh, God. It, it, someone, someone said in an article that they called it Peabody and Sherman uh, live action version. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I wouldn't call Phineas Peabody, because he's more of a doofus. Uh, <laughs> but I get the concept of they're traveling all over and fixing things. And, you know, but I love that. I love that this show still exists for people to watch. And there are 20 great episodes. They deal with like they go to uh, Salem and the witch trials and deal with that. Very cool, like moments. And you're right about Jeffrey. He's not an annoying kid actor. He actually He's kind of like the heart and soul yeah. of this show. Yeah, and and their relationship so, is is great. Yeah. And and honestly, even in the first episode, they were dealing with some heady sci-fi shit where like there were alternate timelines, and he they were like yeah. they ran into some people that didn't remember them, and he's like, oh, that was a different war because they changed yeah. shit, which is like that's some heady shit, man, to like start wrapping your head around time travel wise. But man, Phineas Boggs, what a what a great fucking name diallo what's what was your uh, any connection to this show at all did you ever see it before any this? connection <laughs> <laughs> as soon as like as soon as zach said that that he picked that one i like i like started like humming the theme song right away and so um good. you know again like I, this is the part where i i remind you guys i am a little older <laughs> than you guys 
So I actually remember, like, you know, when Zach was talking about the scholastic, um, like, that connection, I remember, like, um, ordering the books through Scholastic, and then that was kind of tied in with watching Voyagers. I remember watching it premiere night. Um, I remember it was on Sundays. I remember, like, after, like, that Sunday and Monday, we'd, uh, you know, friends, geek friends, I guess we'd be talking about the episode. Um, I remember, and again, I haven't really watched the show since then really but i remember so much about it like i remember an episode where he um where they taught uh babe ruth that he needed to like be a pitcher instead of instead of like hit, like hitting all the time he would be a bit yeah. no he was a pitcher and then he should he should hit was it the other way around yes yes um yeah because he gave up yeah yeah and it's just like i just remember i just remember so many so many uh episodes like that and the concept, you know, the what's burned into my memory is that scene where at the beginning when it has the black background and then the, the like the horns play and then the explosion in the distance and they come shooting forward and um, the Omni having to turn red and or turn green. Um, one thing that I liked about the pilot watching it again was that like what Corey said, it was like this weird, it wasn't just like this, it wasn't a straightforward time travel show. Like, so no. like Quantum Leap or Doctor Who or any other show, it's like they'll go back to like the one time and then they'll do what they can to fix it. But in this one, like when they went to like World War One era, like they were jumping all over the place to fix that one thing. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Like, you know. Um, yeah, and, and probably yeah, hella expensive too. <laughs> yeah, right. But then, yeah, and then when they got back after they fixed everything and got back to where, like, the way it was supposed to be, they still had to do the one thing. But that. those people yeah. that they met when they first started didn't remember them, like Corey said. I, I, I was like, well, that's really cool. I didn't really realize, like, it, it was to that extent of them, them jumping around. But, um, yeah, I loved it. And, like, you know, watching John Eric Hexum as an adult versus as a kid, like I, I definitely resonated with him the same way Corey did. It was just, I was like, wow, he was really like, he he would have been like everything if he had a, like stayed around. Like I, like he just like the chemistry that he and um, Mina Poos had, like he came off as like a dummy, but like charming, kind of like, you know, Han yeah. Solo a little yeah. bit, you know. Goof. Um, it's, it's, it's a hard line to walk but they both walked it perfectly just released for the episodes that i saw and yeah the chemistry was great between the two phineas gage was kind of goofy but not like still capable and still like and also but also like there's like this charming factor where like he's gonna also do the right thing sort of just because it's the right thing to do so he's like that good guy but he's not a perfect good guy man it was Damn, it was good. Damn, yeah, it was yeah, good. He, <laughs> he's not. He's he's a flawed. He's a flawed hero for sure. But um, but there's such a great balance between his his back and forth with 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 Jeffrey, and then, you know, I will say, uh, yeah, in that in the pilot episode, he romances this this Hollywood actress who's in Germany to yeah. like, boost up the troops. <laughs> and she makes out with him and went the first time and uh, they cross paths and they make out the second time when they cross paths almost immediately. And I'm like, man, 
This woman, she just she knows what she wants and she's gonna take it. <laughs> she wants she wants Phineas, man, I, and I don't blame her. <laughs> I laughed. Well, the guy I, the guy looked like a freaking Ken doll in a good way. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I was like, I was like, this guy, he's a he was a good looking dude. Like, I, guys and gals, just go to IMDb and look at his IMDb picture. He looks like a classic Hollywood. Just, just chiseled hunk, and I'm just like, God damn! And that's as a straight man. I'm like, God damn! <laughs> well, you, you know, he he had that he had that um, like that feathered Han Solo hairdo, and right, you know, had the very much like the stereotype. Well, he's, well, he's fucking like, Swedish or something, right? Like, isn't that his background? I think he's I think he's oh, like, oh, go. he's American. He was he was born here, but I think his parents are like fucking Swedish or something. I'm like, <laughs> God damn those Swedes. <laughs> well, well, f- fun fact: uh, my wife, femme French, has a tremendous um, uh, crush man uh, crush on the uh, that actor. Oh shit! He was in um, Hannah and and uh, the Killing, and uh, oh yeah, she already said it out loud. Joel Kinnaman. <laughs> I was about to say, was it Joel, Joel Kinnaman? Kinnaman. <laughs> yeah, and Carbon Carbon whatever yeah, the show yeah, is on Carbon Monoxide or whatever it was on uh, Netflix. Alter, yeah, yeah, Alter yeah. Carbon. And you know he's like half naked through the whole thing, and hey, that's good for him. You know, they, good they do that dude. for a reason. Of course they do. They and do I'm that like, for the femme Frenches of the world. Yes, the yeah. femme Frenches go, love it. Joel Kinnaman's kind of like the modern day John Eric Hexum. Just don't use any prop guns anywhere near your Jesus, body. Jesus, yeah. Ever, ever, ever. My God, my God. But one thing I'd liked, uh, the show had a great sense of humor. There would be a lot of times where they, and, and they specifically used the disappearing as a sense of humor. And like they'd be saying something in mid-sentence and then boop, they're gone. You know, I was yeah. like, oh, that's, that's cool. That's clever. Yeah, like I like a lot of times on podcasts after dark, the movies that, that Zach brings to the table, I don't know what they are. Like Vice Squad was one of them. So I had no clue. So I'm watching the very first episode of this show and it starts with like the kid in this pirate situation. And I'm like, OK, I guess it's going to be a period piece. And then <laughs> the kid's mom had some great great rack in that that pilot episode it's it's wild because she was in the the pirate scene and then it jumps you realize it's a dream and it jumps to or he's reading a book or whatever and jumps to modern times i'm like okay no idea where this is going maybe he reads books or something and then phineas gage like falls through the air and breaks the window and i'm like i really don't know where this is fucking going (laughs) truly i'm like oh there's time travel like it's it's great zach thank you i love these moments where I get to, you know, experience them because at this point it's like if I don't know it, I'm not going to look into it. I'm just going to watch it and see what happens, you know. And uh, what a, God, what a wonderfully pleasant surprise that experience was. That that 52 minutes to watch that, not knowing where it was going, not knowing anything about John John Eric Hexum, and and just like not knowing anything. And watching it unfold, and literally in 52 minutes falling in love with with him. And Jeffrey, I think they were both great, and it was such an emotional episode. The pilot, it, it was, it was some just really good fucking writing, better than it had any chance to be. But like, I have no clue how this, like, well, 1982. I was, I was uh, about maybe four or five years old, so that's that's why I missed it. But man, I can't believe this has never sort of come come across my my path ever since. You know? Well, I think with a couple things. One. Uh... 
it was on for a cup of coffee. If you think about yeah. it, 20 episodes is nothing. Yeah. And especially if it was probably, you know, delayed certain weeks and, um, Sunday at that time when 60 minutes did own television during that time, yeah. everybody was watching because it was like the best news was coming on Sundays at six, uh, eight o'clock or whatever time frame time slot it was on. Um, second thing was, you know, I didn't, I didn't tell Bodie about the concept of any of these shows. I just said, Oh, these are three, the three shows that I have to watch with, uh, for, for, with Corey and Diallo. And we put this one on and the opening he loved. He's like, Whoa, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Cause it's a little kid kicking ass. <laughs> and who doesn't, what kid doesn't love seeing another kid kicking ass? Like that's a brilliant, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, he loved this show, uh, overall, he, 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 that was, you know, he was his favorite in the sense that he just was like, I want to watch more of these. That's what he kept saying. Um, uh, which is cool, but I will say on a third note, um, the, the final episode was the creepiest one. And that always appeals to me. And it was, uh, based around the Jack the Ripper mm. and Jack the Ripper is such a creepy ass character, you know, throughout time. BBC did a Jack the Ripper like mini series, which was creepy as hell. Like it's, that's worth seeking out by the way. Cause it was, took place in the eighties. Um, BBC did so many great shows back then in the eighties. Anyways. Uh, yeah. The Jack the Ripper episode where, where Jeffrey and Phineas have to basically fix it from him killing everybody. Um, it's brilliant. So Sweet. I think all the episodes are the, 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 you can get the box set for like 25 bucks or something on Amazon or 20 bucks. Even it's worth it in my opinion. So, so was he filming this and cover up at the same time? No. So, no. so he, he did this, this got canceled. Oh, so, so this got canceled. Then, so, so that had nothing to do with his death, but then after he died, they created this homogenous, like they retooled it and then released it as that TV movie, which I, I saw on IMDb too. I was like, okay, which is, you know, for, for both this and voyage to the bottom of the, of the sea, I was like, okay, there's, you know, there's a, there's all, there's two sort of like IMDb entries. There's the TV show and then there's like something else to it, you know? So, so they canceled this. He he started working on cover up and then they capitalized on it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And it's unfortunate. I mean, it is what it is. It's yeah. like you know, NBC could be like, "Oh, we're paying homage," and then meanwhile, you nah, know, it's like just, they're just going for a cash just, cow. Yeah, you're just going Ratings for a cash grab. cow. So that money. Got got to get that money. Got to make but, that but money, they, honey. But yeah, they added a bunch of stuff, and like Diallo said, they they like edited out Jeffrey through a bunch of it and focused on Phineas and. Well, that it was back in is. the time too when they did they on I mean often on Sundays um, they would have um, like the movie of the week movie of the week yeah because they did that like on the last episode we talked about that because that's what they did with the Flash Gordon they showed the uh, animated movie that they had made to make the show um, that they never aired on TV they actually showed that as a movie like in eighty was eighty four or something so. It was a thing yeah, they did. Yeah. Um, I, I miss that whole, like, like you know, you, there's something comes on TV and pretty much everyone watched it, you know? Like, mm-hmm. like there was, like, must-see TV. And I feel like that hasn't happened in a long time, except for maybe Mandalorian. Like, just where, like, everyone was talking about it the next day, water cooler type of shit, yeah. you know? But back in the day when there was a lot less... Uh, 
options, you know. Yeah, there's three more networks. Chances for that. Yeah, three, yeah. three <laughs> networks. Three networks. And, and we all watch the same it's inter- thing. That's an interesting point you bring up because back in the day, you know, nowadays, you've got little Johnny in one room with his de- tablet. You've got little Susie in her room with her tablet. You've got mom and dad in their rooms with their tablets or TV. Back in the day, it was like you had one TV and you could watch one thing. And the parents almost always trump the kids. Yeah. So you're watching 60 minutes or they might say, oh, well, let's turn over to uh, ABC and Disney's movie, you know, movie of the week or whatever. Right. The Disney movie that was on on Sundays yeah. or something like that, yeah. like the Brat Patrol or something. Right. And uh, or Mr. Boogans or yeah, yeah, the, the, the Prairie. <laughs> yeah yeah and then and then these shows would like get forgotten you know and and, and wouldn't get watched i mean the, that happened to misfits of science yeah the same idea yeah so it's a shame it's a shame that it's surprising to me that land of the lost could have probably continued but they you know sid and marty croft were like well we got to move on to the next thing you know Ch-ching, yeah take they were, the cash and go they were making money man Ooh, you know voyage of the bottom of the sea lasted what Four freaking seasons, which is bonkers. How many episodes that is. It's great. Uh, And then a show like this, like, was a cup of coffee, and then it's here and it's gone. And, and, you know, the leading guy is unfortunately no longer with us. So that's all we have for his legacy. Cover-up is pretty badass, too. Diallo obviously knows. He knows what's up. (laughs) I mean, he he and I both watch that show. But uh, that's worth checking out because Jennifer O'Neill was hot at the time uh, on many levels had a great cast great concept and man john eric hexham with that deep voice you know like he had yeah, that he had that voice weird interesting talk and he was a big dude yeah he's joel kinnaman 80s he, style he had he had it all he had it all man <laughs> i'm sure femme french will be like i want to watch voyagers now <laughs> yeah when you get that uh DVD, it's not on blu-ray right it's just on dvd not on blu-ray okay. it's dvd yeah and i think uh i think the same thing for voyage to the bottom of the sea you can you can pick up all those uh on dvd Land of the Lost too. yeah yep i think all of them are on dvd but damn man like like I always thought like we were gonna have as many Blu-rays as we had DVDs, but it does not seem to be the case. Um, but I'll say this: uh, I was of all three of them, uh, Land of the Lost. I had the most nostalgic love for. Um, I still loved it nostalgically. Uh, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. I thought I knew more than I did, but then weirdly, when I watched stuff, I'd recognize more than I thought I would. But I still don't think I watched it as much as I did. But like, I was very impressed with the quality. But for me, the winner was Voyagers. That thing, I didn't see it coming. I didn't see John Eric Hexum coming. Uh, even Jeff, you know, Jeffrey Jones, that, that character. I didn't, I, I didn't see any of it coming, and I was not expecting to love it as much as I was, or I did. And, uh, yeah, John Eric Hexum, my God, my God, what a specimen. Uh, Diallo, what are your uh, overall <laughs> thoughts on, on all three of them? Yeah, pretty much the same. I like um, Voyage of the Bottom of the Sea. I I kind of enjoyed it the same amount of enjoyment that I had whenever I happened upon it, which is I would watch it, but it never really like sparked anything in me. But I also was like, oh, this is cool. I'll I'll spend some time watching it. Um, Land of the Lost clearly is like it's one of my, again it's one of my all time favorite things, and I like like I like spend half of my time sometimes just thinking about how it could be made into a movie and wondering why it hasn't been um, because it's a just, good movie. it's there. It's just, it's all there. And again, I was so, so disappointed by the, the movie that they made. Um, 
Um, but um, again, I loved, you know, I loved Voyagers when it was on and I've remembered it all these years. And like I said, as soon as Zach said the the name, I, the, the tune started, <laughs> I just started singing the tune immediately. So that was probably my favorite one to watch, actually. Um, for me, Land of the Lost still, it's like more of a over time. It um, has its up, like it, it adds layer upon layer with the with the episodes. But like, just in terms of like that, I don't know that like, quick hit for Voyagers, man, that was it. Like watching that pilot was just like, it had all the energy, all the action, all the humor and all the romance. It was just, it was all uh, just, it was so fun to watch. And I, I kind of felt a little bit like I did when um, back, I don't know, it was the first, second episode we did with them when we watched Misfits. Like I remember watching that pilot, Misfits of Science, and just remembering like, man, this was such a good, this was such a good pilot. This could have been like a movie in, in some regards. So um, yeah, that's my ranking. Yeah, and I just want to, before Zach, you get into your, your final thoughts on all three, I just want to say that when Jeffrey said that Phineas was his dad, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, how, how am I feeling something? This is just the pilot. We're only like 30 minutes into the pilot, and yet yeah, I'm yeah. I'm feeling. Why do I feel? Because, because it was so goddamn good. That's why. That's why I was feeling because fucking Phineas Boggs and Jeffrey Jim. Oh my god. I just You know, one part love that, that I thought was <laughs> one part that I thought was really funny was the whole bit with the uh the Wright brothers and the yeah. woman. That's what ridiculous. were their names? <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> they tried the whole the scheme. They had, like that now, was but... genuine like high comedy to me. Yeah. Like it wasn't just yeah. like passive. Yeah. It was like this is really funny and like it's the really choice funny. she makes when she thinks she can get Phineas, and it was just, uh, it was so funny. And the fact that like it could dump, like dip into all these different genres in one, you know, episode is it, just yeah. wild to me. And again, a testimony to the all the the creative team involved on that show. So that's. Yeah. Uh, Man, that it, it was better than it had any any right to be. That is for for damn sure. Uh, Zach, what what are your overall thoughts on all three of them? Well, I, just really quickly on Voyagers, I I yeah I I know we talked a lot about the the pilot episode, and I have this feeling that our audience actually probably hasn't seen this show. The majority of our audience, probably. So I think uh, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea and Land of the Lost, I think, are very nostalgically popular. Mm-hmm. amongst genres uh and and probably much more known or widely known voyagers not so much so um i'm glad we didn't spoil too much because i think it's it hopefully people will, will revisit the show it's overall there's a daily motion like fortunately diallo pointed out there's a lot of free versions of the uh, episodes and if you'd like it then go buy the dvd box set yeah. you know uh give it some love but yeah, it, very similar. Um, so I rank it like this. I'd say Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, and I mean this in the most heartfelt way. Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea is a great show to watch to fall asleep to uh, because it just puts you in a nice lull mm-hmm. and you just put every, what, 150 episodes or whatever there are <laughs> yeah. of it. Um, Land of the Lost is the one where you get like, and I don't partake, but if you do, like it's super baked <laughs> and just laugh your ass <laughs> off at the special effects, but also the charm yeah, that it has. It's charming, you know? yeah. And 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 it reminds me of um, 
in and Diallo's been with me at the Santa Monica All Night Horror Fest, and they have yeah. this. They they play an intro to the horror fest for those that don't know. It's a, it's like a twelve hour long horror fest, and they show all these different movies. But in between the movies, they show like an episode of TJ Hooker, and then they flash up these weird commercials, and then they do uh, the monster from um, uh, Star Trek episode where uh, Sha- uh, Kirk is battling this monster. And it's just really random shit. And they call him Corngorn. It's like, it's that nostalgic stuff that you just love. And you're like, I want to just keep watching more of this. That's what Land of the Lost is. It's like nostalgic love that you want to watch more of. And then Voyagers is like a, it's, it's, it's a, it's one of those shows where you go, man, this should have been on for a lot longer than it was, you know, but at least we have these 20 episodes and at least it's on DVD. It's a box set and it didn't get canceled. You know, you can still go out and buy it today on Amazon. Yeah. So um, I don't know if that actually broke down the way I like ranking of the three, but I love all three for very different reasons. And uh, I cannot wait to go into the next round of shows that we do. Because, <laughs> well, uh, speaking I'm of sure the next be fun, the next round, we know what we're going to be doing uh, for the next episode of TV Obscura. And that is all three of us are going to talk about our top five animated crushes that we had when we were growing up so (laughs) we're gonna get sleazy with it but i think i do think it will create some fun conversations and uh some fun nostalgia and ultimately you know that's what we're trying to do with tv obscura it might not be the deepest dive you know we we might not take as deep of a dive as we do into the movies that we review on podcasting after dark but i hope it's enough of a you know toe dip into the pool that gets people interested in checking these shows out and going back and revisiting them and and you know seeing if they still hold up to the to the you know what you remember them being i will say too just to tag on to that we are not reading from wikipedia as we're breaking down and talking about these shows and this is not pad in the sense that we break down shows Diallo is a is a lexicon. Is that the correct term? Lexicon so. of knowledge. Yeah. I mean, uh, when it comes to this Necronomicon. A Diallo Amicon. And you know, and and Corey obviously has his deep knowledgeable spin, and then I have like my own take mm-hmm. on things. It that's purely what it is. It's a roundtable discussion of fun. Of, of so if you're looking fun. for if you're looking for Wikipedia type stuff. You can find that elsewhere. On Wikipedia. Yeah. (laughs) But we're coming from a place of like feels. It's all about the feels on this show. Mm -hmm. So, and, and y'all know, y'all feel us on that. If we miss something, it's all good. Just, you know, don't troll us. Just take take this as a, as a starting point and then dive deep wherever you want to. And uh, we love it. And we love all the feedback that we've gotten on this show. You guys are awesome. You guys have been very supportive of this and uh, this endeavor into, uh, into TV Obscura. And man, I just, I love talking these shows with you guys. I Diallo, this is great fun. Uh, Zach, we do it every week, but Diallo, this is awesome to have you on once a month and and do this and man i i just i love 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 diving into these these old shows man with you buddy yeah thank you it's i mean again it's always fun to 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 do this with you guys and and like you know just kind of piggy off of what zach was saying it's like you know i i spend a a good amount of time 
watching random YouTube videos and reviews on stuff. You know, I'm always, like I said, I've been kind of making my way through a lot of the Star Trek movies and TV shows. And then in conjunction, a lot of times I'll be watching like someone doing a review of the production and stuff like that. And one of the things that has, has kind of like popped up for me is like a lot of the people that are doing these reviews, not a lot, there's some of them that do these reviews and, they, and they're, <laughs> they're so smug <laughs> yeah, yeah. about the things that go on in these uh, productions, like they're so superior to them. And I, I think they're just, they're really not like appreciating things through context, you know? Um, Yes, it's it's so easy 50 years later to say how, you know, better the special effects are than what they were then. But again, like back then, that was the best they could do. And, you know, um, I'm more impressed in certain ways with what they did, um, like I said, with um, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea than I am with some special effects. I just watched... uh, Godzilla versus King Kong. (laughs) And, you know, it's just like, it's like in some ways I'm more impressed with what they did back then just because I know it it took more like effort, you know, like we, we, they had to be creative to figure out how to do those things. Whereas now it's just like, whatever you imagine, you can just kind of like make it happen. Yeah. So, um, there's, there's, I will go ahead, Zach. I will say too, uh, going back to Voyager's, if it wasn't for these shows in the first place, we wouldn't have what we have today. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just like the Wright brothers, if they had, <laughs> just sound like, uh, I sound like Eddie, I sound like uh, Dirk Diggler and, uh, and, and Reed Rothschild and Boogie Nights. Just like, you know, the, the, the settlers before this time. No, if it wasn't for the Wright brothers making the plane back in, back in the day, we wouldn't be flying today. Yeah, so if we wouldn't you know, have, we wouldn't have had Sequest DSV if we didn't have Voyage to the Bottom. I guarantee you, when they pitched Sequest DSV, they used Voyage to the Bottom yeah. of the Sea as, as oh, like you know as clearly. an example. And then Straight like up. and 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 like with like y'all, what you're saying with the special effects and everything, like Land of the Lost, you know, yeah, they're you look at them now, they're they're whatever. But like you have to understand, like, and we can, you know, I, I made a little bit of fun of them, but when I was a kid, like they were huge, like that was a big deal. Like I, I was like, this is real to me, this is believable to me, you know. And I think it's because now I'm watching it now. Is because I think even though the special effects were or maybe lower budget, they still treated them earnestly. Like they mm-hmm. they always treated it like it was really there. They never made fun of it, and I think that's what really kind of helps sell it. And that's why it works to today. Even if you know you're like okay, maybe I'll, the special effects will take me out a little bit, but I think ultimately it still works because it's how they acted around the special effects and how they yeah. treated them. Yeah, that's and again, that's why, you know, back to like the Land of the Lost movie, they they took the approach of like, oh, I'm this show to me now is cheesy. So we're going to make a movie and I'm going to make it cheesy instead of like just updating it. But, but the show wasn't this, cheesy when it yeah. like it wasn't in that wasn't the intention when right. it first came out. It's only cheesy because you're viewing it through twenty whenever that movie came out. I think it was probably twenty sixteen or something. Two thousand nine or something. Oh my god, I'm old. Yeah. I'm it was old. a while. It was a while oh ago. Yeah. Well, no. well, I I also think too Brady Bunch Brady Bunch uh, movie, yeah, the movie, which I yeah. think is really funny. Yeah. Uh, everybody was like, "Oh, we're just gonna do that." Right. With every and Starsky and Hutch was decent. That one worked. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that I mean that that worked, but you know, um, SWAT 
a SWAT, I thought, I thought was a pretty good action movie, and they took it seriously. Yeah, they didn't yeah. try to parody SWAT, you know. And uh, Twenty One Jump Street movie worked, but yeah, Twenty One Jump Street movie liked, worked. I actually liked the serious show, though. You know. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, love yeah. I love that yeah. show, and in yeah. in now knowing a little mm. bit of the backstory on it, I'm like, oh damn, that was a very toxic environment. But uh, um, that's worth looking up, by the way. Um, but yeah, it doesn't work for everything. Yeah, Land of the Lost would make a great dramatic yeah. feature with with comedic elements. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, you you need to. What is the soul of the of the property? It, yeah, it's it. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys are saying. And Diallo, to your point of like the snarky comments or whatever, uh, you know, and people like I, I sometimes think people get lost in the weeds too much and mm-hmm. and yeah. and start like really analyzing things. And when I watch a movie for either one that I'm going to break down for pad or one that Zach's going to break down. I always watch it twice. One without taking notes. And I'm usually drunk and high because I'm, <laughs> I'm just trying to get the, the, like, I'm just trying to feel it, you know, like feel, I'm just yeah. trying to, yeah, I'm just exactly. trying to get the feel for it. And I don't, I'm not going to overthink it. I'm not going to like, like think about the special effects. I'm just going to feel the movie first. And then I watch it to take notes. But I think that's important. I think, I think you should, as a critic, watch things more, multiple times before you sit there and actually put your thoughts to paper, because I think you do need to feel the movie first before you start looking at it critically. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I talk a lot about all of this stuff with random people. And one thing I've noticed about other people is that they tend to uh, critique things from within the text instead of outside of the text. So for instance, you know, take it back to like, Star Trek, they'll spend all this time trying to explain why the uniforms look different from, um, you know, the original series to the movies. And they give all these reasons within like the like a canon explanation. Mm -hmm. Um, But usually that just comes about because in real life it had something to do with the budget. Right. Right. So that stuff like that outside of the tech stuff, the budget, the oh, they got a new cost of production designer. They got there was like a new technology Um, like again with Land of the Lost. That was like the first time that they actually used one of the first times they used the blue screen. And it was like it was like unheard of. And so like to me, that stuff is more interesting than trying to explain, like you said, like the, the people that get in the weeds about like you know, trying to make everything canon wise line up front to back. It's like sometimes you, you're kind of losing your way, you know. And, and to that point, like, for example, Return of the Jedi, the mm-hmm. reason Luke Skywalker's lightsaber is green is because they knew that when he was fighting on the skiff in, in the opening act, it, the, a blue lightsaber would get lost against the blue sky. That's oh, it. Wow. That's why Luke has this green lightsaber. <laughs> it's it's a practical, it was just a practical reason that now gets put into, I mean, I think people need to, to remember that movies are a collection of decisions, right? Yeah. And, and and to yeah. make the ultimate, you know, a, a movie in the end is, is the goal. And it's just decisions. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes people get lost in the weeds of it, honestly. I got and again I got that when I was rewatching Star Trek I that it just all came to, it all came to me because when they were like I just everyone is especially with Star Trek they're so like they get so canon about everything and they get like, like get rigid about it but I was watching the original series and I was like man like they would contradict stuff in the same episode let alone <laughs> like over the course of the show 
So they were just making it up as they went along, basically is what I'm yeah. saying. So there's an element of like sometimes just like, yeah, yeah, that contradicted something. Like sometimes just let it go and have fun. And yeah, like it doesn't just... have to be so serious. And like what to, it, all that was just speaking to what you were saying about like watching that, like for the entertainment value sometimes like and then you can you, you can use your critique after. But yeah. does it resonate? Yeah. Does it pop for you? Because that's the whole point in the from the from the you know from the from jump so yeah and so far man this has been a great show i mean like all of them this is our our fifth episode and i've i've discovered new shows you know yeah it is crazy right (laughs) i've discovered new shows i've discovered new loves and as always i i love both of you for introducing me to so many things but also you too It, it it both of you are my teachers in how to critique movies. I feel like I've become better at that thanks to both of you. That's why I love this show, truthfully, because I love talking to both of you guys about pop culture shit, man. This this shit is fucking awesome. Oh, yeah. shucks. <laughs> Bat's breath. <laughs> Bat's breath. Bat's, Bat's breath. breath. <laughs> Guys, guys, please, if you have not seen Voyagers, of all the shows we just it. talked about, if you if, if that's the one show, I would say just go watch that one. Please go watch that pilot out of all of them, and I think you guys will really, really enjoy it. And uh, you know what is not Bat's Breath is anything Diallo is doing out there in the world. Buddy boy, <laughs> well, plug your shit, my man. Plug your shit, buddy. Uh, so Angela in the dark, um, we're, I was just talking with, uh, the co-creator and artist Russell a couple days ago. Um, we're coming up with new concepts for a graphic novel, um, plotting a way to get that done. Um, you can follow that at Angela and the dark on, um, Instagram. And also we have a page on Facebook. Um, and then, uh, there is, uh, the First Noel Chronicles, which is uh, an audiobook podcast that I'm doing of my novel called The First Noel. Um, and the third chapter is coming. <laughs> <laughs> I've been buried under, like in a good way, I've been buried under a lot of work for a project that I got hired to, to do. So that has kind of um, taken a back burner, but my brain was exploding with ideas over the weekend. So I can't wait to actually sit down and um, get uh, finished on the third chapter. Uh, so you can find us at First Noel Chronicles website, uh, First Noel Chronicles on Instagram. And um, I'm also work. Uh, my ears project is in is back up and running. So that's uh we're doing, uh, it's going to be like a hundred plus page graphic novel. So that oh, cool. will be fun. Cool. Um, yeah. And that's uh, everything I can talk about right now. But um, <laughs> yeah, just uh, really busy and um, blessed in that. Um, but also I wake up and I work and then I maybe eat and I go to sleep. And that's all I do right now. So. <laughs> the, the life of a content producer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And uh, as always, I will have uh, all those links in the episode notes, uh, or at least links to things that I can link to. So when once Ears is out there, I will put that link in there as well. Zach, my man, what is going on at $2 Late Fee, baby? Oh, man, $2 Late Fee has been a 
piling high on uh, interviews and, and with composers and actors and whatnot. We've got an upcoming, by the time this airs actually, uh, we have an interview with Brad Fidel. Brad Fidel is the music composer for Terminator, Fright Night, of course, uh, True Lies, Serpent in the Rainbow, Gladiator, the original 1992 movie, not the uh, one with Russell Crowe. The rip-off Yeah, Et cetera, et cetera. Great interview with a dude that that talks about the, the genesis of all these great soundtracks. Uh, we've got an upcoming interview with Annabeth Gish. Ooh, the, if you don't the know Gish, who baby, Annabeth, the Gish. G- Annabeth Gish is, I mean, she's working today. Oh, I know. Uh, everything from Sons of Anarchy, <laughs> The X-Files, uh, tons of television. But she was prominent in the 80s in a movie called Mystic Pizza, oh, yeah. Hiding Out with John Cryer and Shag, which is a great kind of coming-of-age uh, uh, female-friendly film. And one that doesn't often gets overlooked, but should definitely not be overlooked. Was so Ricky that's what Lake we've been doing. One? What's that? Was Ricky Lake in that movie? No, Phoebe Cates was in that Phoebe one. Cates. Phoebe Cates, Bridget Fonda, and Annabeth Gish. Hmm. And um, Robert Russler from Thrashin' and Weird Science and Nightmare on Elm Street uh, Part 2. Right? And uh, yeah, that's what we're doing over at $2 Late Fee. We've got a bunch of upcoming interviews Bill Allen from Rad, the lead actor from Rad. Um, Jesu Garcia, who we interviewed on Podcasting After Dark, which is on our Patreon page, mm-hmm. which you should definitely check out. And a totally different interview for $2 late fee. Yeah. Uh, if, 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 a lot of times there will be a bit of a crossover on the guests because obviously Zach's on, on both podcasts. But every interview is dramatically different from one to the other. So different content. Yeah. It's, it's almost like each interview, you can just put them both back to back and you'll get like a two hour interview, uh, in total essentially because they're so different. There's very little crossover. I will, I will say in regards to J. Sue Garcia, which people oftentimes are like, who's that guy? Nick Corey. Nick Corey yeah. He's on our Patreon. Uh, he was in wildcats. He was in gotcha. He was in nightmare on Elm street. He was in Miami vice. Um, the guy is, is his story needs to be heard. If you haven't, excuse me, if you haven't heard it yet, you should check it out. It's definitely worth, um, the $5 a month just alone for that interview. Yeah. It's such a great interview. I'm really proud of that one because, because that guy, he's not a recluse, but he doesn't often do a lot of interviews and he is very deep and very honest and very truthful uh it, it, it just in overall sense and i think he's a guy that once you hear his story you're like i want to hear more of that yeah yeah he's he's an interesting dude and uh, it was very very cool talking to him uh my wife is a huge nightmare on elm street fan and we were trying to i was trying to get her to say hi to him and she was so nervous she couldn't do it because <laughs> she was she just loves that movie so much but yeah he was a cool dude that's a, it's, it's a great interview uh, like Zach said, we have a bunch of interviews on the podcast, After Dark Patreon, people like Tom Noonan, uh, people like Tom Matthews, people like Diane Franklin, uh, you know, t- Jonathan Stark from from Fright Night as well. So we have a we have at this point, I think we're pushing about 14 or so interviews on our Patreon page with I think we have about three or four in the can. People like Peter Jason, people, people like William Sadler, I believe is dropping. Are we dropping the William Sadler one this month, I think? We are. Okay. We are. We've we we've got 
we've got so many great ones lined up. Yeah. And uh, for those of you that don't know who James Etock is, uh, actually that pertains to uh, TV Obscura, because yeah. because the guy is the 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 and all be all when it comes to um, Masters of the Universe and He Man. And also, he knows a shit ton about real Ghostbusters, so we have an upcoming interview we're booking with him, yeah. uh, which I'm sure Corey's going to be very excited I, to talk about. I, I've, been, and, uh, I've been wanting to read Serial Geek for like 10, 15 years, but it's, it's a UK magazine, and uh, he, he's like, he, it's his magazine, and uh, I've, I've... And you do realize he was, he, his knowledge of real Ghostbusters is... I, I can only imagine because his knowledge of He-Man is insane. So I, I can't wait to talk to him and all that. We have such great stuff on our Patreon page. You know, go check out Wrap Up After Dark. It's a monthly show that Zach and I do, just a free-form discussion uh, about everything that's been going on in, on the network and on the po- podcast for that month. And then we, of course, the interviews after dark. And we're going to be releasing a special uh, episode soon so be on the lookout for that it'll be a patreon episode and yeah we've got some patreon exclusive content some more patreon exclusive content coming your way so check that out and of course you can listen to me every week talk about seinfeld on cartwright a seinfeld podcast and we've got right and we've started uh (laughs) diving into curb your enthusiasm as well so check that out at this point i think adam and i uh have about almost almost 90 episodes of Seinfeld under our belt. So that we are is wild. That <laughs> is know. wild. We are. I remember crazy. when you started that. That's I crazy. Know, dude. That crazy. We're on season six, bro. We're on fucking season wow. six. It's wild. wild. But it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Obviously I love Seinfeld and uh, we break it down and we have a good time with it. So check us out, check out everything on the BFOP network. Uh, check out talking back, check out action, action, check out blast from our past. Check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. Of course, not on the network, but check out $2 Late Fee. Check out everything Diallo's got going on. And uh, guys and gals, I, I love the the podcast community that we are a part of and all of our friends and, and doing all these cool things with our friends. And Diallo, man, as always, I thank you for doing this show with me. Zach, as always, thank you for doing this show with me. I fucking love it. I, I absolutely love it. Love doing with both of you guys. And this is just so much fun i could literally couldn't think of a better way to spend two hours so hope everyone feels the exact same way and as always we'll catch you on the obscure side be sure to subscribe to podcasting after dark and give us a five-star rating on itunes support podcasting after dark on patreon Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Strange but true.
stories from people all over the world. Explore the weird and wonderful in my weekly podcast with Deadly Debbie's Creepy Files. <laughs>